How many of you know that marriage is very important? Let me ask you a question. How many of you are married? Let me see your hands. Okay, how many of you, that's a lot. Do, do it again, raise your hands. Look around, look how many people are married. How many of you have a significant, you're not married, but you're in a significant relationship right now. Let me see your hands. How many of you are just hoping to get in a significant relationship by the end of today? Let me see your hands, amen. Amen, well, I, I'm with you, I'm with you. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about building a healthy marriage. And, um, you know, I believe what we're gonna share today really crosses the boundaries of, it's not just good for marriage, it's good for relationships in general. And so if you are not married, but you're wanting to get married, I suggest that you just try to learn all you can before you get married, because it's gonna help you whenever you do get married, amen? And so the bottom line is if you want a healthy and vibrant marriage, you got to quit burning, burning bridges and you got to start building bridges, right? And, and I want to kind of set up, uh, you know, where I'm coming from this morning. Years ago, whenever I was still single, I worked offshore, worked on the rigs and, uh, and I was interested in being married and I would hear a lot of people talk that were married, especially offshore. And I'd hear all these people talking about their old lady. And, and talk about, you know, and they would just really just run their wives into the ground. And, and you could tell by the way they would talk, their marriage wasn't really good. And I thought, my goodness, man, I'm not sure I want to get married if this is what it's going to be. And so I thought, you know what? I'd rather be, uh, you know, single and lonely than married and miserable. Are y'all with me out there? And so, you know, and so I got this vision for marriage to say, you know what? Look, God just gave me a vision to say, Todd, you know, believe me to be married, first of all, right? Amen. All you need is one. We're not polygamous here, right? All you need is one. And so, you know, but, you know, believe further than just being married. Why don't you just have faith and believe for a great marriage? Imagine that. And so, you know what? I thought I'd see people. I'd see people that were married and, you know, they, they were holding hands and they were, you know, doing things together. They enjoyed each other's company. It looked like they were enjoying marriage. And I thought, wow, that's what I want. Come on, are y'all with me out there? I believe that, you know, you can have a good marriage and even a better than good marriage, a great marriage. Amen. Now, listen, it's not easy. It's not easy. It don't just automatically happen. In fact, automatically happens bad marriages. Good marriages you got to work on. Amen? And so I want to encourage you today that, that regardless of where you are, you can have a great marriage. You know, Tanya and I had the privilege of having dinner with a couple in the church Friday night. And uh, they were, they've been married 57 years, and they're still making goo-goo eyes at each other, and they're still madly in love with each other. Now, that's what I want. What about you? Amen? And so let's talk about how do you build a strong, healthy marriage. Number one, you got to build on the power of unity. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, it says this, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. One flesh means unity. One flesh means harmony. It means being of one mind and of one spirit. And anything that you read in the book of Genesis is the first account. This was the first marriage here. 
It sets the precedent of what God had in mind. God has in mind that husbands and wives would get along. Amen. So when it comes to building a healthy, vibrant marriage, unity is a non-negotiable. You got to have unity in your marriage if you want to have a strong, healthy, vibrant marriage. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself will be, what's it say? Ruin. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. A divided house can't stand. And so the quickest way to burn bridges in your marriage is to allow fighting, arguing, quarreling to be present in your life and in your home. And so the quickest way to build bridges is to work on and protect the spirit of unity in your home. Amen? You know, some of you raise kids or you're raising kids. And those of you that have had multiple kids, I was one of seven. Uh, my parents worked on building unity in our family among the kids. And so whenever we were fighting, they would make a quick work of that. And sometimes they educated us with a board of learning. Right? Come on. How many of you can relate to that, right? And so, you know, they, they said, look, we can't, we're not having this, right? And so unity is the glue that holds a marriage together. And you got to know that as Christians, the Bible says we got to be wiser than serpents, right? And gentler than a dove. We got to know that if the enemy wants to, to break up a kingdom, weaken a kingdom, weaken a marriage, what he'll try to do is bring hostility and disunity in your marriage. And if you're wise and you're spiritual discerning, you're going to do like parents did with their children. And, and you say, no, 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 we're not going to allow that in our family and in our marriage. Amen. Come on. If you got that, say amen. So how do you promote unity? Number one, we protect unity through the power of love. It's love. Unconditional love builds bridges in marriages. How many of you know you can't build a bridge without love? In fact, James 4.2 says, you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. And so the opposite of love is selfishness. Shelf selfishness burns bridges. Love builds bridges. And so whenever you're selfish, you're going you're gonna to constantly start fights in any relationship, at work, at, at your house, in your neighborhood. If you're selfish, you're going to start fights, right? So what categorizes your marriage or your relationship? Is it selfishness and self-centeredness or unconditional love? You know, typically in a marriage, you have somebody that's more loving than the other and somebody that's more selfish than the other. And so what you have to figure out is, are you the selfish one? Are you the loving one? And if you're the selfish one, you need to move over here to the being a loving one. Come on, I need a better amen. Selfishness and self-centeredness is the polar opposite of love. First Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is, in case you're wondering, what does love mean? Love is patient. Should we stop right there? <laughs> love is kind. 
It does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So, well, how do you know if you're loving or selfish? Are you patient? Are you kind to your spouse? Are you envious? Are you proud? Are you rude? Are you self-seeking? Are you easily angered? If those are, 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 those are characteristics of you and your marriage, that's what the scripture is trying to say. Listen, if you want to build bridges and not burn bridges and you want to promote unity, you gotta learn to love. Amen. If you want to see a picture of a powerful marriage, just sift it through 1 Corinthians 13 and work on these characteristics and it's going to change your marriage. Amen. The second way to promote unity in our marriage is we protect unity through humility. And so Proverbs 13, 10, pride only leads to arguments, but those who take advice are wise. Why do we argue? Once, sometimes we're selfish, but sometimes we just got stinking pride, right? Pastor Brandon talked about it. Don't tell me my breath stinks. And you jump starting a 747, right? And so listen, pride has to have the last word. Pride has to be right, has to win the argument. Pride will never admit fault or wrong. Pride is quick out to point out your spouse's faults, but rarely ever admits to your own. Pride talks to others in a condescending and belittling way. That's how you know if you got pride. See, the thing about pride is we're the last ones to know we have it. But these are symptoms. And you can check the fruit in your life to find out what you're operating in. Amen. And so if you, if you want to know whether you're operating in a prideful spirit in your marriage, these are some characteristics. But listen, the quickest way to end an argument is to say, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Would you please forgive me? Come on, say amen. All right. I heard about a couple, um, had been married several years, and this was their report. When uh, the one of the spouses in that marriage, in all these years they had been married, never ever took blame and admitted fault and said, "I am wrong." Well, listen, we're not that good. Come on, y'all, with me out there? We're not that good. We we we're not going to be like Jesus, hundred percent, right? And so they got to be at some time and place in our marriage where we say, I'm sorry, honey, it's my fault. Come on, y'all help me out today. Say amen. You know, on more than one occasion, Tanya and I had a little spat. You, you know, one of those spats where like you walk in the next room. Hey, do you want, you're not talking, you know, you, if you touch each other in the bed, you're like, I mean, that's what I heard. That's what I hear, you know. And so, and so, you know, man, I was raised with seven middle child. I hate con conflict. I, I, I despise it. I, I just don't like it. And I don't like when Tiny and I have a spat. And it's like, what can we do here, you know? And so, you know, 
I'm sorry will end the fight, but it takes humility to say I'm sorry. And so we'll have, you know, chill temperature in the house. And I, I, and more than one occasion, I'm sitting in my room going, God, I pray, soften her heart. Lord, get her. Look, you know, help her, Lord. You know. And the Lord says, all you got to do is go over there and admit wrong and just say you're sorry and this thing could be over. <laughs> and my pride says, no way. But it's amazing, isn't it? Pride is ugly. And to just say, honey, I shouldn't have talked to you that way. I'm sorry. Can end an argument. But pride won't let you do it. And you see, so why do we have disunity in our marriage? Sometimes it's because we're selfish. I got to do what I want to do. I got to go where I want to go. The schedule's got to be all about me. That stinks and it kills romance in marriage. And so does pride. Amen. Now, listen, don't say amen too loud right now. <laughs> amen. So why is it so hard to be humble and just admit? Because it's our flesh. It's our cornal nature. And so humility is the ability to take responsibility, own up to mistakes. And, and it's a fruit of the spirit. And so our flesh don't want us to be loving and doesn't want us to be humble. It's our flesh. But if the spirit takes over, then it's easier. And so, Remember, the kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And so what we need to be is we need to be firefighters or, you know, turn out fires of conflict and of argument. The very thing. Listen, if you want to weaken your family, weaken your marriage, just let hostility continue. If you want to strengthen and build a strong and healthy marriage, just do all you can. Take your side of the... Listen, you can make it 50% better. Amen? And how many of you know that's a big percentage right there, right? Okay, if you got that, say, I got that. Move on, please. <laughs> Number two, the second way to build a healthy marriage is to guard your heart and the heart of your spouse. And so Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. The condition of your heart determines the condition of your marriage, right? And so remember when the Pharisees tested Jesus by asking him this question about what was the legal grounds to get divorced in marriage? And his answer, Jesus provided great insight, I think. In Matthew 19, 3, the Pharisees came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and he said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So as you can see, it's God's intention for marriage that it would never end in divorce, that it would last a lifetime, right? 
But then Jesus tells us why does it happen. He says the reason why Moses permitted a certificate of divorce was because of the hardness of your hearts. So there's something very profound here. People don't get divorced until their heart gets hard. And so the reason marriage ends in divorce is because of hardness of hearts. So it's our job to guard and protect each other's hearts. Because no marriage will ever end in divorce as long as you protect each other's hearts. So how do you know if you're dealing with a hard heart? What's hardness of heart anyway? Well, this is not ex extensive, but when you lose your emotional tenderness, and your love and compassion towards your spouse. And by the way, you can have a hard heart even if you're not married. In fact, a hard heart will keep you from getting married. When, you're, when your will becomes so stubborn, uncooperative, unyielding, and even resentful towards your spouse, when your attitude becomes so critical, harsh, and judgmental towards your house, these are indications that you're dealing with a hard, callous heart. So how does someone end up with a heart? I think it's, it's a series of events. Malachi 2 says, for the Lord, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. And so, you know, he says, the reason why I don't like divorce is it's, it's always people get beat up. And, and I don't like people to get beat up. And so he says, therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now, God says to husband and wives, don't deal with each other treacherously. Now, I haven't used that word recently. What is that, right? Treacherously means don't sin, don't offend, don't transgress against each other. So the bottom line is when you sin, offend, transgress against your spouse, their spirit becomes closed off and they begin to build an impenetrable wall like a castle around their heart and they're totally closed and, and, and isolated emotionally to their spouse. And so I believe a hard heart is caused by a series of events. It doesn't happen overnight. And that's why some people go into marriage with a hard heart because they've already experienced this series in their life. It starts with little wrongs, emotional jabs, hurts caused by harsh words, mistreatments, uh, disappointments, violations, uh, neglect. It, it causes uh, offenses or somebody to be offended, which leads to anger. From the repeated emotional injuries, you become angry. And if anger remains, then a root of bitterness sets in and resentment builds. And finally, the prolonged anger, result of prolonged angry or a root of bitterness as you get hard-hearted. A hard heart is caused really by a series of little transgressions. And so Song of Solomon 2.15 says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Are y'all with me out here? Now, let me just back up just a second. This relates to parenting as well. You can harden the heart of your children by not protecting their heart. 
And so it's not necessary. The big offenses that heartens our spouse's heart is the continual little transgressions of hurtful words, harsh treatment, emotional injuries, neglect, and detachment. So if you want to build a strong and healthy marriage, you can't keep hurting your spouse because they're going to build a fortress. If you got that, say, I got that. Now, over the years of counseling couples, you know, a spouse is sometimes surprised. I'll get a call and say, can I see you? And they come in and they say, my wife left me. My husband left me. We're separated. And I say, oh, my God, what what happened? What, what's going on? And they said, I don't know. It was just this little fight that we had. And, and I can't believe they left over that. And so I want to say, well, it's not that. It's all the that's before that that has caused that. That's pretty deep right there, right? But are, are y'all with me? You see, our spouses don't get hard overnight. See, we think we can just get away by jabbing and hurting and offending. And listen, if you want your marriage to last, you got to protect the heart of your spouse. And you got to protect your own heart. Amen? Proverbs 423 says, guard your heart. Guarding and protecting each other's heart determines the quality of your marriage. You see, if I go back to, to the oil field rigs, and they say, oh, my wife, you know, this and that, they degraded their wives. And, you know, I know wives who do that to their husbands, and they, they have this, they're married, but they have this idea that, you know, they put every, every man in the same category, or every woman in the same category, but they're speaking out of a hard heart. And so I realized, you know, when I'm listening to these guys, because that wasn't every marriage I knew. As I told you Friday night, I saw a different picture, 57 years of marriage, and they're still making goo-goo eyes at each other. Can I get an amen? All right. So listen, if you want to build a healthy marriage, you've got to guard each other's heart. Third and final way to build healthy, vibrant marriages is you got to build your marriage on a solid foundation. The foundation of anything that you build, it determines the strength and ability of that building, right? You know, if you're building a house of cards that you can just breathe on and knock it down, you don't need any foundation. But if you want to build a skyscraper, you got to go deep. you got to build a solid foundation so it can stand the adversities of winds and storms. And so the health of any marriage is determined by the foundation of that marriage. What is it built on? What is it? What are you building your marriage on? You say, man, I'm a good provider, man. I got money. I can choke them you with all the money. That's not a good foundation. That's not a good. You got to figure it out. A marriage that will last through the winds of adversity, of trials and tribulations has to be built on the rock of Christ. In fact, Jesus explains it this way in Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
Now, Jesus used this, this word picture, and he said two guys, two marriages. One built it on sand, one built it on the rock. The one who built it on the sand, as soon as the adversity hit, it crumbled. The marriage who was built on the rock when the adversity came, I mean, it, they, the, the house felt it, but the house didn't fall. Jesus said, what God has put together, let no man put asunder, right? So the question is, what kind of foundation are you building your marriage on? Is Christ the center and forefront, listen, of your personal life and of your marriage? And, and let me just say, going to church doesn't qualify as building your marriage on the rock. Just going to church. You have to invest your life in a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Amen? Because, you know, you can come to church, but you, you're not listening. You're not worshiping. You're not interested. And you're just going through the motions because that's what your spouse wants you to do. I'm telling you, you're on sand. Quick sand. Come on, are y'all with me out here? My brother, my sister, you got to give your heart to Jesus Christ and serve him with all your heart if you want to build a right foundation. Amen? Come on. Now, you should be able to say amen right there, right? But you can count on it. When the Lord is the foundation of your marriage, there's going to be incredible blessings. You know, it's interesting when we talk to this couple 57 years and they said, oh, man, listen, it's the Lord. You know, the wife says, you know, I'm Cajun. Come on, y'all know what that means, right? It's the Lord. How many of you know it is the Lord? It is the Lord that makes us, you know, it's like these two people that are totally polar opposite, and God takes these two bricks, and he pulverizes them together, and he makes one out of them. Amen. But first, we got to go through the brokenness, right? And then we're one. So three benefits of building your marriage on the rock of Christ is, number one, the Lord will help. Build unity in your marriage through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so listen, think about it. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, comes in you. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's not a weak spirit. spirit. It's a powerful spirit. It's a transforming spirit. And so when you're a Christian and you're married and you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. Amen? And, and when the Holy Spirit lives on inside of you, the Holy Spirit will help you with your relationships. Always remember this. The nature of the Holy Spirit is to promote and protect unity and peace. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to promote unity and peace in your marriage. And so if Tanya and I are fighting and quarreling a lot, the Spirit is trying to get my attention. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so anytime there's conflict, fighting, arguing in my relationship, the Holy Spirit will go to work in my life to try to bring about unity again in my marriage. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict and to change any sinful attitude or behavior in my life. 
The Holy Spirit's job is to fill my heart with unconditional love so I can look past my spouse's faults and shortcomings. The Holy Spirit's job is to break the spirit of pride and clothe me with humility so I can take responsibility for my actions, my attitudes, and my behavior. Amen? In other words, it's the Holy Spirit's job to help me walk under the power and the control of the Holy Spirit instead of the power and the control over my flesh. Because I tell you, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. In my flesh it stinketh. Amen? Come on. And so Galatians 5.22 says the, the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if we'll just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to work in our life, He's going to protect unity. You know, like going back to that story, you know, one time, it was years ago, Tanya and I had a spat. No, honestly, Tanya and I have had many spats, just like y'all. I mean, you know, you have disagreements, you have, you know, miscommunication. But you know, the amazing thing is I'm always amazed. Anytime Tanya and I gets in any spat and I get along with God and I pray and I start praying for her, God taps me on the shoulder and say, come on, let's work on this. And the Holy Spirit will convict me. And it changes things. You see why the Bible says don't quench the Spirit? So you can have a good marriage. Listen. You do know that you can't buffalo God, right? Like you can't pull a fast one on him. You see, like, you know, he could see right down into your heart, know all your motives and everything. And so sometimes, you know, we think we can get away with stuff with our spouse, but the Holy Spirit says, uh, -uh hold on, hold on. Are you a man of God? Are you a woman of God? Well, let's get this straight. Come on, y'all say amen right there. Okay, the second benefit of building your life on the rock, the Lord will help you protect your heart and the heart of your spouse, right? And so, you know, if you've already developed a, a hard heart, and, and you know, it happens. Things happen where, where all of a sudden your spouse's spirit is closed off. I mean, you said something ugly. You said something harsh. Or they said something ugly or harsh. They behave wrongly. So, so what do you do? The good news is that there's hope for anybody and everybody. If the Lord can take a heart like the Apostle Paul, who was a Christian killer, and change him till he's given his life to helping Christians, I believe he can change you and I. Amen. Would you agree there's no heart too hard? In fact, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Isn't that great news? God is able to take any heart and make it brand new, revitalize it. God is the great physician. He's the heart transplant specialist. And he can take and, and some of you could come up here and testify today. Before you got saved, before you gave your life to Christ, it was like you were a, she was a cat, you were a dog, or vice versa. 
And, and y'all didn't like each other in the same house. And it's like, why did we say I do? And, and then you got saved and the Lord moved in and all of a sudden, man, it's something totally different. That's the power of God. Amen. Come on. If y'all agree with that, say amen. There's no heart too hard. Remember when Jesus said to the disciples, it's easier for a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Now, the eye of a needle was this little small door in a wall of, of a city. And he said, you know, camel, it was hard to go off, right? To go through that little door. And he said, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Now, obviously, he was saying people that are wealthy sometimes get controlled by their wealth. And it's, it's hard for them to surrender to Christ. But, you know, I also believe that what he's meaning there is that there's no heart that's too far gone. Because they, you know, they say, well, who can be saved if it if it's easier for, a, a you know, a camel to go through an eye of a needle? And they said, who can be saved? And he says, what did he say? He said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible. That verse is in the context of the power of him being able to change any heart. Isn't that great? Because, you know, when you think about, you know, sometimes the problems we have in our marriage is the bags we brought into our marriage. And we're, we've been hardened because of our environment, because of the way we were treated, the, the abuse, whatever. And we get married and we're like, man, I mean, we didn't even get a chance, right? So what do you do? Is there any hope? And I say, yes, there's hope. His name is Jesus Christ. You get on the rock and Jesus Christ can totally, completely change your heart, soften your heart and give you a heart of flesh and take your heart of stone and, and throw it away. Amen. Come on. How, how many of you agree that God can revitalize? He can restore. He can renew and he can strengthen any marriage. What kind of marriage do you want? Do you want to just just a marriage that exists? Or would you like to have a good marriage? No, a great marriage. Is it possible, saints? Well, Todd, I've been married for 50 years. Is it possible, saints? Come on, we've been through a lot. Is it possible? All things are possible through Christ. That's being on the rock, right? So, so, there's two ways to release God's healing power in your life. And the first one is, if you know you've wounded your spouse's heart, you got to repent. you got to repent and first ask God to forgive you. And then ask your spouse to forgive you. Say, but what if she doesn't forgive me? That's, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to take responsibility for your actions, right? The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, repentance is humility. And repentance and humility releases God's grace in your life. And so the second way to release God's grace to soften a hard heart or to re restore a broken relationship if you know you have a wounded heart because of repeated hurts and offenses, you need to forgive. 
You need to forgive your spouse. And it's not for their benefit, it's for yours. You know, because sometimes we say, I'm not forgiving him. I'm not forgiving her. You got to, you, you got to be kidding me. Well, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you. You know, because Matthew 6, 14 says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. You see, you know what mercy is, is understanding that you, you offend God a lot and he forgives you. And you realize, man, I can't go hold this standard on somebody else that God is not holding on my life. I need to be merciful and forgive them like God forgives me, right? That's really what it's all about. See, mercy and forgiveness releases God's amazing healing grace. And so I think the Lord wants to heal hearts this morning. But you do me a favor and just bow your head with me. And I want to ask you, just kind of specifically, you know, would you say that you're guilty of of hurting, offending, cutting your spouse with your words, with your actions, with your behavior? You know, I just want you to just take responsibility for it if you have and just say, you know what? I have. I, I want a great marriage. and. And I want our marriage to to be blessed and us to enjoy each other. If you just take right there, just take responsibility for it. Just ask the Lord, just just in the quietness of your heart, say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you just forgive me, Lord? And And, and obviously right now is not the right time, but maybe find a time in the next day or so. Or, and if you just... If you would just be willing to humble yourself. You know, the enemy will try to build a case and say, yeah, but the reason why you like that is because they like that. And, and he'll try to talk you out of it. But we're not talking about them. We're talking about you. Just take responsibility and maybe just go up to him and say, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? Don't, don't expect them to fall down crying and say, oh, I've been waiting for that. Oh, I love you. You know, they might just say, okay. But it's you're not worried about their response. You're worried about your actions. Or maybe maybe you feel like your heart has been hard, and you're very critical, judgmental. You're you're caustic. You're you know, man, you're hard to live with. You're hard to live with, and you know it. Can you just take responsibility and say, man, I'm hard, hard-hearted. And I don't want to be hard-hearted. Maybe just ask the Lord right there where you are. Lord, would you, would you soften my heart this morning? Maybe you just need to forgive your spouse. And it might go back beyond that. You might need to forgive an offender before you got married. Maybe you need to forgive an abuser. It's right there in your heart. The Lord can take a hard heart and give it you a soft heart. Father, I pray this morning for every married couple that's in this room. God, I know that you don't want us just to exist as a husband and wife. 
but you want us to really love each other. God, would you help us to not promote disunity, hostility, arguing, fighting in our marriage? Would you help us to be promoters of unity and peace? Lord, would you give us the grace? Would you help us to be sensitive to our spouse's heart? And that we would be careful how we treat the daughter or the son that you gave us to live our life with and to treat them with compassion and tenderness. God, would you put unconditional love in our heart? God, break up the fallow ground. Break up the hardness of our heart. Break the callousness of our heart. Lord, shatter the walls, Lord. Fathers, we forgive as we release mercy. God, would you just bring healing and health and wholeness right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, you know, the third benefit of building your house or your life on the rock is it prepares you for eternity. You know, I mean, it's not just this life we have to worry about. What happens when we die? Where are we going to spend eternity? What's going to happen then? Are we going to be in the presence of God? Or are we going to be separated from God? The Bible says that you, your heart has to be sensitive. Your heart has to be open. you got to open your heart to Christ. And maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. You've never sincerely said, Lord, I want to be a Christian. I want to serve you. But today, maybe the Spirit of God is, is just tugging at your heart and just encouraging you to, to surrender your life to Him. If that's you, just raise your hand. And I want to pray a special prayer for you. Thank you. I see your hand over here. Anywhere else, just raise your hand. And I want to pray a special prayer for you because you can't have a life change. Right here, right here, sir. I see your hand. Anywhere else. Come on. This is your day. This is your moment right here. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your promise that you could take a hard heart and you could give us a soft heart. Lord Jesus, I repent. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Lord, I ask you to forgive me and heal me. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. And I'm making a decision today to surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, for those of you that raised your hand and said you were, you were ready to pray that prayer, there's a card in the pew that said, I made a decision. If you want us to know you made that decision, we have a gift for you. We're going to pray for you. We're not going to harass you or anything, but just bring it to the, to the desk in the lobby. Amen. How many of you are glad that God has hope for every one of us? Amen. Come on, how many of you know that today can be a better day than yesterday? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let me pray a blessing over you. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray the favor of God, the blessing of God, the grace of God over every married couple, every person here today, those that want to get married, those that desire to get married. Lord, I pray that, God, you would just help us today to build bridges and not burn bridges relationally. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. If you need anything for prayer for anything, we'll be up here. Have a great day.